right. Praise the Lord. Great to see everybody this morning. Welcome to Gateway Baptist Church. For those watching online, we're so glad you're able to join us and worship with us this morning. Just have a few announcements about what's going on in the life of our body this week and things in the near future. But just by way of reminder, Grady mentioned this last week um, that we have a resource available to you called the Dwell Bible app. And it's a great way to read the word, to hear the word, they add music to it. Um, there's no cost for the sign up. You just have to go to the link that you see there on the screen, fill out your necessary, your own password, your own username, and set up and you would get free access to do that. I know a lot of people love starting out the new year with reading the Bible with different types of uh, formats, but we just encourage you uh, to be a part of that, to make that available. Also today at 4 o'clock here in the sanctuary is another prayer gathering. We do it every other week, led by Greg and Cecilia Teal. He's one of our elders. And just by way of reminder also, if you want to come in any Sunday morning, sorry for said 4 here, you're right, 4.30, typo on the announcement list, 4.30 today. Um, but also every Sunday morning in room one, we have a prayer time at 8 a.m. If you want to come and participate with that uh, before our Sunday morning Bible study, you're more than welcome to do so. Also, as many of you know, we kicked off our Wednesday night activities this past Wednesday. We had a wonderful start. Uh, to our new season of that and new studies. It is not too late to join up. If you just got back from out of town or just looking at your schedules, we would love for you to participate, to build community and to build some relationships. So the men are studying a book um, called Trusting God. The women are going to, uh, through a prayer study. And then we also have a couples group this time uh, that they're going through Tim Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage. The kids are meeting, obviously doing the kids project and our teenagers, the youth group we're going through for the next 10 weeks, we're going to do, we're going through the 10 commandments. So there's a lot available on Wednesday nights. It's a wonderful time of fellowship, just a great way to get uh, discipleship and to build in community. So every Wednesday night at six o'clock, uh, we'd love for you to be a part of that. And a little sidebar to that, ladies, if you aren't able to come on that Wednesday night, Trish Butterfield has started a Bible study the very next morning, Thursday mornings at 10, with the same study. So if you miss Wednesday night, you can come that Thursday morning to participate. It's at 10 a.m. over in the gym building in room two. Um, and lastly, men, just for you to put it on your calendars, uh, there's a day hike planned for February 3rd. Uh, that Saturday, we'll be headed to Lake Martin. Um, to the Deadening Alpine Trail. This is for men and boys from eight years old and up due to the trail length and the cliffs involved in that area. So eight years old and up. All the details and registration are on the website at gatewaybaptist.com. And if you have any other questions on our news and events page, you can see all these other activities as well. Grady mentioned last week that came, uh, the uh, college group and they get some young adults went to Louisville to the CrossCon conference last week. Um, got back and uh, the great participated in and just by way of reminder uh, one of the ladies in the group made a video uh, for their group just to remember some nostalgia stuff and so we thought it'd be encouraging to let you see what they put together give you a little taste of what they experienced and also by way of reminder to pray for our college students to pray for our young adults that what they experienced up there that their lives will be transformed and continue on in the same spirit of some of the things they learned so let's take a peek at that
as you can tell, we're recruiting college students and young adults at an early age. So we had Timmy had to go, but no, continue to pray for them, guys. My daughter was able to go. I've talked to others that, have, that went on this trip, and it was very life-changing and just building community amongst themselves. Just as you can tell, it's 11,000 for the most part, 20-year-olds that heard these sermons, heard these preachers, got challenged with the gospel, got challenged with missions, got challenged in discipleship. So just a wonderful opportunity to know. And just as a little sidebar, at the same time this conference was going on, just to see what God's doing in this country, there was over 30,000 in Atlanta at Mercedes-Benz Stadium at the exact same time, hearing sermons, worshiping, being together in that dome. So right now we have got an army mobilized, right now as we speak, all over this country, on campuses, at jobs, in different social settings. So we need to be praying for this generation. Amen? This is serious. This isn't a minor thing. Lives have been transformed. People that went to this conference have just been challenged to go globally to spend the rest of their lives on the mission field. And so this is serious for us to pray for and to remember these young men and women um, daily if possible. Put them on your prayer list to see what God wants to do to reach the nations. Amen. Well, let's stand as we prepare our hearts to worship the Lord. As we've already been encouraged this morning to see what God has done. I want to read for you Titus chapter 3 verses 4 through 7. Just the gospel, pure and simple. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's worship our Savior this morning. See 
In three out of the five songs that we sing today, we will declare that the Lord is our song. So what does that mean? When Moses and the Israelites were delivered out of slavery through the Red Sea, when God literally parted the Red Sea and allowed them to walk through, they immediately declared in song, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. So from age to age, God's people have repeated this phrase throughout scripture. The psalmist said in 118, the Lord is my strength and my song has become my salvation. When Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 12 about a future day when the Messiah would return to establish his kingdom, he said, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid for the Lord. God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. God is our song not because, not only because he's the object of our worship, right, but he's the author of our faith. He inspires our hearts to praise him as well as inclines our heart to praise him. He's the song because he's the songwriter. And so when we sing that he's our song, we sing about what he has done, not what we have done. And as the psalmist declares, we will sing of his steadfast love forever. We'll sing this song forever. Um, that's, the, that's the spirit with which let's sing this next song. Thank you. 
situations of life, relationships, different situations, as you've just expressed your heart to the Lord through singing, just take a moment and just have a one-on-one with Jesus. Express him heart of gratitude, thankfulness, adoration, praise. Offer something to him, whatever it is, your sins, confession. Just let's take a moment as we're in the presence of the Lord to just enjoy a special moment with him. for what you're doing here, part of this Gateway family. Lord, we thank you so much for our young adult ministry that Andrew and Melissa Harris lead so well and are so faithful at. Lord, we thank you for these many individuals in different seasons of life, some married, some with kids, some still single. God, we just pray you bless them, you continue to provide for them, continue to draw them to yourself, Lord. We thank you that they have built a wonderful community here at Gateway and sharing life together, meeting together, having fun together. 
just pray you continue to use them in their spheres of influence, their jobs and social settings, within their families. Just continue to knit them close together with you and with each other, Lord. We just thank you for their faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for different individuals in our body who are involved with different ministries around this city. And Lord, today we continue to lift up Foch Smart to you. And as he's been ministering to the young teenage boys at Safety Net for many years, many of these young men dealing with emotional and behavioral disorders and coming from very difficult backgrounds. And Lord, we thank you for Foch's faithfulness for so many years to love on these guys, to just be Christ, to show them your love, grace, and mercy. Pray you continue to give him wisdom and just as he walks among these guys, Lord, that the gospel would go forth through his actions and through his lips. He is so faithful to do so. And Lord, we do pray for a revival. We pray for he gets to experience a harvest with these young men, that they would come to saving faith. Just continue to guide and direct his steps. Lord, we thank you. We get to pray for our extended family around Montgomery. And this morning, Lord, we lift up Pastor Ken Austin and his church, New Walk of Life, over there in Washington Park. We thank you for his faithfulness in that community to reach out and do many evangelistic events in that community to reach people with the gospel. Pray you continue to give him strength and good health as he ministers with his own local body, but also, Lord, his involvement with the Mercy House. That has been a key uh, element in that side of town, which is a day shelter for many homeless that provides food and clothing and day showers, and everything's coded in the gospel. Lord, we pray you continue to bless that ministry provide for them and whatever they need as they reach so many with the gospel. We just thank you for his heart and his ministry, Lord. And God, we continue to thank you for the opportunity to pray for those across the world. And Lord, we lift up these IMB missionaries in Fiona Torsoa, Madagascar. We thank you, Lord, that a new family has just joined this team there in that community. We pray, Lord, your blessings upon them, your provision upon them as they're planting a new church in that community to reach those with the gospel. We pray for protection. We pray for good health. We pray, Lord, to continue to give that local church plant vision and strategies on how to reach that city so that once the natives become saved, Lord, that they can go out into the communities and that surrounding villages and areas to take the gospel to their, their people. We thank you for their faith, faithfulness, Lord, to sacrifice to go across the sea, to go to the ends of the earth to take the gospel. Lord, we thank you for your provision. You're a good God. We are so blessed. Thank you for the offering given today and those that have given online. We pray, Lord, you continue to give the leadership here and the staff wisdom to be good stewards of your resources. And we ask you to continue to bless those. And Lord, lastly, we thank you for our shepherd. Thank you for Grady. Thank you, Lord, so much for his faithfulness to teach your word, to shepherd us. We pray that you give him strength and energy as he comes today, that your Holy Spirit will guide and direct every word that is said. We thank you so much for this opportunity, again, Lord, to be together, to fellowship to just enjoy the presence of the Lord and to say that Jesus is Lord. Thank you so much for your presence here, God. And we ask these things by your power and your authority. In Jesus' name, amen. Kids, first and fourth, you can transition out. And as we do this, can we just show our appreciation to our worship team and the wonderful job that they do? And we are so blessed. I hope you guys never take that for granted, that we have some amazing instrumentalists and artists here, and we are just so blessed to have a team like we do. As the kids are on their way to Kids Worship, why don't you find Genesis chapter 3 and your copy of God's Word. Genesis chapter 3 in our year-long study for these first 11 chapters of Genesis, these foundations 
of our faith. Now, right now, we're in the middle of a section of Genesis that's been focused on God's judgment on sin. We've begun to see God's judgment on Adam and Eve for these first sins in the world. Yet, I hope you've seen over the last weeks, we've been seeing hope in the midst of the judgment. We are seeing the grace of God even as He deals in His holiness with sin. We're seeing hope in the midst of judgment. So I want you to think back for just a minute on the mingling of judgment and grace that we have seen intertwined in these last few weeks. Think back to when Adam and Eve first sinned and how God approached them. Look back at Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. And remember when Adam and Eve first sinned, God did not come in the garden thundering at them. God did not come in with lightning and with screams. But Genesis chapter 3 verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That God chose to approach these new sinners with grace, not yelling at them, but coming to them with gentleness. Then he drew them out with questions. The very next verse, in verse 9, remember how God approached them. The Lord God called to the man. He was giving the man a chance to come to God in repentance. He said, where are you? He even makes repentance easy in verse 11, two verses later. He basically tells the man what to say. Notice the very end. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? All Adam had to say was, yes, we did. God is giving them opportunities to repent. So we see God in his holiness dealing with sin. We see God in his grace giving grace and mercy and calling them to repent. There's this intermingling of judgment and grace throughout this section. So even when we come to the part we're in now where God issues the punishment for sin, what we call the curses, you find both judgment and grace. Think back to God's curse on Satan the serpent, what Jeff showed us last week in Genesis 3.14. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And we saw how that curse on the enemy impacts humanity in the battle that we find ourselves in. The very next verse, in verse 15 of Genesis 3, God says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman. That we will live in a spiritual battle now because of the curse there. But yet there's grace in the midst of this. There's hope in the midst of this because the verse goes on. And between your offspring and her offspring, because, uh, go back to verse 15 again. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There in verse 15, there's the first gospel, the first promise of the Messiah to come. In the midst of the curse and the judgment and the spiritual strife that we find ourselves, there's the hope that Christ is going to come and defeat the enemy and deliver us from those things. You have judgment, you have hope. You have judgment, you have grace. And now in the verses that follow, when God issues the judgments to Adam and to Eve directly for their sin, you're going to see that intermingling as well of judgment and grace. Now, today we start with the judgment given to Eve. Now, when I first was planning out our Genesis study, we're going to do all of the judgments on Adam and Eve together. But for those who know me well, four verses is a little bit too much to be able to tackle this morning. And so a little bit of trepidation. We're going to talk about just the curses to Eve and to women today. But men, you're not off the hook. That's next week. So wives, make sure your husbands come back next week and talk about Adam and the curses on Adam and the generations of men that follow. But as we start with verse 16 this morning, as we look at the punishment, the judgments God gives to Eve here, I want you to see what is the punishment for the sin here, but where is hope here? Not just what is the sin, what is the judgment, but where is the hope and the grace here? So Genesis chapter 3, verse 16 this morning, I can ask you to stand please in honor of the reading of the word of God. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over 
you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you even as we go through Genesis. We see so much here that explains the state of the world that we're in, that explains our own sin and struggles. And so we pray as we look at these really more challenging verses on the curses and on judgment, that you would give us much grace. Much grace to see your holiness, but much grace to see your grace given to sinners just like us. And so I pray as we look at this with Adam and Eve this week and next, we wouldn't just think about, oh, it's such a pity that they did this, and oh, look at their punishment. I pray we realize that we're just like them. And so would you help us see our own sin these weeks? Would you help us see our own need for a Savior? Would you use these texts, Lord, to free us from that self-dependency that plagues so many of our lives, to run to you for the only help that there is? And so I pray that we would celebrate your grace today as we think about these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we look at Genesis chapter 3, 16 this morning, to help us understand the judgment on Eve, which does impact Adam too, and the pain and brokenness we feel today from this. I want to consider two truths today. And I'm going to give you one. Today we're going to give you two because they build on each other and they're both important. So let's start with the first truth of this text, and it's this, friends. God's judgment on Adam and Eve's sin makes life's blessings now challenging. God's judgment on Adam and Eve's sin makes life's blessings now challenging. Now, there's wrong thinking that's very prominent today, and that's the idea that if God forgives sinners, the consequences will go away. Now, in terms of eternal consequences, yes, when God forgives sinners, the eternal consequences go away. We never have to fear facing the wrath of God. But God never promises that he will let our earthly consequences go away. If we lie to our boss, God may still let you get fired, even if you say, I'm sorry. If you cheat at school and you confess that sin to God, God still may let you get expelled. If you commit adultery and confess that sin to your spouse and to God, God may still let your spouse divorce you. Just because you say, I am sorry, just because God forgives does not mean earthly consequences go away. And you see that here in Genesis 3. God obviously loves his image bearers. He made them. He is the one who is drawing them to repentance. But his love and mercy for Adam and Eve do not mean he pretends nothing happens. It does not mean he winks at their sin. It does not mean he takes the consequences away for their sin. Rather, God here gives judgments to Adam and Eve. That's just verses 16 to 19 of this part of Genesis. So go back to Genesis 16, Genesis 3.16 this morning. So the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, as we think about this verse at the outset, friends, we need to realize something very important. This is God speaking. This is not Satan speaking. They're not humans speaking. This is the judgment that is coming straight from God. Look at how verse 16 began. To the woman he said, that he here is God, that he is Yahweh Elohim that we've been seeing about, the creator of all things, the one who's the God of covenant faithfulness. And he says, God is speaking to them. This is the same voice that spoke the universe out of nothing. Think back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. We saw this all throughout Genesis 1. And God said, you see the power of God's voice, let there be light. That is the same God who is speaking now to Adam and Eve. That's the same voice that was heard in the nothingness out of which light and everything came from nothing. This is now the voice that is speaking to Adam and Eve. And just as we saw in Genesis 1, 3, when God speaks, let there be light, there was light. When God speaks, it happens. So go back to verse 16 here. When God speaks judgment... It will happen. Notice the certainty to the woman. He said, I will surely. This is the voice that when God speaks, what God says happens here. God is holy. God hates sin. And he is a God who loves justice. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4, reminds of this part of God's character. The rock 
His work is perfect. For all His ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and out iniquity. Just and upright is He. Our just God hates sin. And our just God has promised to punish sin. And in this text here, He does so for the first time in human history. And He will continue to do so throughout the rest of Scripture. Look at the warning given to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15. This is probably not what appears at the top of our devotional books. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all His commandments and His statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Friends, our culture is a culture obsessed with the love of God. And yes, God is a loving God, but God is also a just God and a righteous God and a God who gives curses for disobedience, judgments for sin. And I feel we've lost sight of that, at least in much of American Christianity. When God speaks towards sin, judgments come with that. So we need to realize this is God speaking here, not the enemy, not other people. This is a holy God himself. But we also need to realize something else here, that this judgment was not only on Adam and Eve. What God said here would forever change his world. Maybe I should be more clear. God forever changed the world with these judgments on sin. This was God reshaping things in his perfect plan for it. God passes judgments to everyone since then as well. Everyone on earth now falls under these judgments given to Adam and Eve. Now, there's an important doctrine of our faith as you study theology. It's called the doctrine of original sin. Or perhaps you may hear it called the doctrine of inherited sin. It's a truth in Scripture of two things that really go hand in hand. First of all, we are born guilty. We are born under the curse. We are born already under the judgment of God. Now, our American Christianity has a hard time with this because we're such an equal opportunity sense of our culture here. But we want to know God for who he's revealed himself to be, not how our culture wants to imagine. We are not born innocent and corrupted by our environment. We are born guilty already under these curses. Romans chapter 5, verse 19 makes this clear to us. One of many places. For it's by the one man's disobedience, it's talking about Adam, that many were made sinners. So when you were born, before you even had an opportunity to sin, you were already a sinner. You're a sinner. You inherited Adam's guilt. That's why you hear me say often, you sin because you're a sinner. It's not the other way around. You're not a sinner because you sin. It's the flip. You sin because you are born guilty. You are born condemned. You are born guilty under the curse here. You are born a sinner. Now, just a quick pause there. As much as our culture kind of just doesn't like this thought of I'm born with an inherited guilt, this inherited guilt also means we can have the hope of the inherited righteousness of Christ. That's a sermon for another day, but notice the rest of that verse. So by the one man's obedience, that's by Jesus' obedience, the many will be made righteous. I can never be righteous enough to get to God. You can't either. So just as I was born with Adam's guilt... I now, because of Christ, can receive Christ's righteousness. We're imputed guilt, but that means we can get imputed righteousness. That's a whole other sermon for another day. But for now, we are born guilty. The other part of this, though, is we are also born with a sin nature. We are born eager to sin. So we have inherited guilt, but we also have an inherited sinful nature from the start. Psalm 51.5 in David's confession here. He said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. Now, that doesn't mean he was born because his mom sinned. He's saying, When I was born... I was already in iniquity, and sin did my mother conceive. He's saying, from the womb, I already had a sin nature. So what's important for us to realize in our text today and what we'll see next week, when Adam and Eve sinned, we were counted as having sinned with them. We are given their guilt. We are now received their same sin nature. We have an inherited nature. So the judgment you see, go back to verse 16 here. The judgment you see to the woman, he said, what follows here was not just for Eve, This falls on all women throughout world history since. And what we'll see next week in verses 17 to 19 for Adam doesn't just fall on Adam. 
It falls on all men throughout history as well. There's an inherited guilt and an inherited sin nature that comes with this. Now, with that in view, what is the judgment on Eve and the generations that follow? That's what I said from the beginning, that some of life's greatest blessings now become challenges. Some of life's greatest blessings become challenges. And in particular, there's two blessings named here that now are challenging for Eve. The first one, God's judgment here makes marriage challenging. God's judgment makes marriage challenging, not just for Eve, but for the generations that follow. Now remember, marriage is the first institution that God ordained. It was an incredible gift from God. It still is an incredible blessing from God then, and it still is. Think back to Genesis 2, 23. The first elation at the first marriage, when God brought Eve to Adam. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. So you see the joy he has, it leads to the first marriage. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. In Genesis 2.25, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You see the joy together as the first husband and wife, the unfathomable delight they had in perfect harmony and unity and oneness as husband and wife, and the great joy they had in following God's command for them. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, what God told them to do. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. God designed marriage to be joyful and serving together to accomplish God's purposes. And Adam and Eve experienced elation together in doing this. But sin and judgment have now come, and that makes marriage hard. How so? Think about the roles of a husband and wife and how these judgments God gives now impact those. Think about, first of all, for the husbands. See, men, you're not off the hook today. There was a calling given to Adam and to all husbands. And what was that? It was to sacrificially love their wives. Adam had a responsibility to lead his wife with sacrificial love. He had a responsibility to love his wife, to cherish her, to care for her, to nurture her. Look at how Scripture explains the calling to all husbands. 1 Peter chapter 3 Verse 7, then if you're married, you need to own this verse. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Let me pause here. You've heard me teach this one before. This means to understand her, understand her desires, her needs, her dreams, her aspirations, her struggles, to really, really know her. So you understand her. You're to show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So you're to know her. You're to honor her. You're to treat her as a fellow heir before God, so that... Your prayers may not be hindered. You see your calling as husbands in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 28. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, how did Christ love the church? He came not to be served, but to serve. So husbands, you love your wives as Christ loved the church when you seek to serve your wife, when you give yourself up for her. It goes on in verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Verse 27. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Husbands, your job is to help your wife be holy and love Jesus more. Verse 28, it all wraps up here. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Or Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That's the calling to Adam. That's the calling to all husbands throughout time. But because of sin... Because of the judgments, because of the curse, Adam's tendency is not to do that now. Adam's tendency is not to lead that way and to care that way. In fact, we've already seen this change in Adam. Look back at chapter 3, verse 12. When God asked Adam, have you done what I ask you not to do, what did he do? He threw under the bus. 
And he said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate. He blames her. Immediately he's going from loving, nurturing, caring, understanding, showing honor, all those things, to immediately just throwing her and blaming her for his sin. So because of judgment, sin, the curse here, wasn't just Adam. Men today still have the same tendency to do what Adam did. Look at the very end of verse 16, our text today. Notice what happens even in this curse on women. This last phrase, he shall rule over you. Man's sinful tendency now, because of sin and the curse, is to dominate their wives. To be harsh, to be demanding, to be critical, to abandon sacrificial leadership, and to pursue their own selfish gain and use their wives to help them accomplish their dreams. But you see it all the time. You see it in men's degrading words to women. You see men who undervalue the gifts of their wife. You see men with their anger towards their wives. You see men indifferent to their wife's emotional needs. You see men's selfish approach and demands about sex. You see the pornography epidemic which plagues men today and is the epitome of the selfishness of this. Verse 16, he shall rule over you. Because of sin, because of judgment, because of the curse, men have a tendency to not love their wives the way God called them to love their wives, instead to use their wives for their own gain through a domineering approach. But these judgment affects the wives also. They had a calling given by God to Eve and to all the wives who follow as well. And what's that? That was to lovingly follow their husband's sacrificial leadership. Ephesians 5.22, you see this calling wise. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That the wives were to encourage their husbands to lead and they were to follow their husbands' loving Christ-like leadership. But because of sin, because of judgment, because of the curse, the tendency for Eve and the tendency for women now is not to want their husband to lead. The tendency is to want to manipulate and control the husband instead. Go back to verse 16 this morning. There was this next to last phrase into it. Your desire shall be for your husband. Now this has been taught wrongly before. Some people say this word desire means sexual desire. Your sexual desire will be for your husband. Friends, that's not the curse That's part of creation. That's part of the blessing of God. So that's not what this means here. This word desire means to exercise a dominating control. To exercise a dominating control. You will have a desire to exercise dominating control over your husband. Now we know that's what that word means because of how it's used in the next chapter. In Genesis chapter 4 verses 6 and 7. This is God warning Cain before Cain murders his brother. This is what God says to Cain. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Notice this. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's, here's what it is. Same word. It's desire. Same word we just saw. It's desire is for you. But you must rule over. What's the desire of sin for Cain here? To control him. To dominate him. To take over him. And so now go back to verse 16. Same word, same way used here. Your desire shall be For your husband, the desire for the woman's tendency to usurp her husband's leadership, to be critical, to be manipulative, to take the lead from him. Now put those two things together and notice the effect this has on marriage. What began as easy in the garden, what began as pure delight in the garden, working together for God's purposes, with loving, sacrificial leadership, with joyful following, with bliss and harmony, is gone. And it's difficult now. One of the authors I like to read on Genesis is this guy named Derek Kidner. He said, to love and to cherish becomes to desire and to dominate. To love and to cherish has now become desire and to dominate. Nancy Guthrie also said it well. She said, rather than the unfettered, one flesh intimacy they once knew, their relationship will be riddled with self-centered strife. Rather than the unfettered, one flesh intimacy they once knew, their relationship will now be riddled with self-centered strife. The husband, Adam, is now self-centered and he's domineering. 
The wife is now self-centered. This is Eve, and she's now controlling. And in the generations that followed, we've seen that pattern over and over and over of self-centered individuals who say, I do, and how it wrecks their marriage. The great blessing of marriage has become challenging when God speaks this judgment on Adam and Eve in the future generations. Now let me just say and clarify, friends, this affects all relationships, not just married. You don't have to be married to feel the effects of this part of the curse. You see, in any relationship, one of the authors I read said it well this week, thus parents are simply harsh with their children who rebelliously disrespect their parents. Strife mars the workplace. Civil rulers tyrannize citizens who in response make government as difficult as possible for the leaders. Basically, these sinful tendencies of domineering or controlling wreck all relationships. And so because of the curse, a blessing is now a challenge. And we see that in marriage and in all relationships. But there's a second part of this judgment for Eve that takes a blessing and makes it a challenge. And that's the blessing of childbearing. That because of the curse, childbearing is now a challenge as well. Now think back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. We looked at it a minute ago, but think back to the command God gave to them. And God blessed them. Now don't miss that. This command is a blessing. God blessed them and God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, we unpacked that some, like, what, 15 weeks or so ago. But when we looked at that, when this was a blessing God gave them to, if they're able to, to have children, but also to invest in the next generation. This is about discipleship, not just having children physically, but discipling the next generation. It's a blessing. That's why Scripture affirms the, the blessing of children. Psalm 127, verses 4 and 5. In Psalm 127, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Verse 5, it carries on. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. So there's this idea that children are a blessing. This is something good from God. But now because of sin, because of judgment, because of the curse, the blessing, like with marriage, the blessing becomes a challenge. Go back to verse 16 in the first part of it. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And when you hear this verse, what typically comes to mind is labor and delivery. If you've had a baby or you've been around people who've had babies, this is where a lot of the stories come from. This word pain means painful toil. And that is a fitting description of labor and delivery. It is painful toil for the wife. And that's why so many men pass out watching their wives go through the painful toil. That's why when Julia was in labor, a nurse had to look at me and say, Dad, please breathe. Because I was stressing out watching her in painful toil. This is what we typically think about. And that's part of... The curse, this blessing of childbirth would have been pain-free in God's plan pre-cursed, but now it has pain. This blessing is now challenging. But friends, this verse is about more than what happens in labor and delivery at the hospital. Notice the poetic structure that's in the repetition here. This is not just repeating words for repeating words' sake. The first part, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. That's the labor and delivery part we're talking about. In pain you shall bring forth children. It repeats it a little bit different. This is now talking about, the scholars say, the raising of children. That the blessing of raising children was to be a joyful thing originally. It is now fraught full of challenges. And if you have children, you know that. Parenting is challenging. You are a sinner raising little sinners. And that takes the blessing of childbearing and makes it incredibly challenging because of their sin, but also because of your own sin. That makes what was designed to be pure joy and bliss, having kids and raising them, now saying this perilous, exhausting, and grieving at times. Nancy Guthrie explains on this text, she said, talking about this curse here, this is not merely the physical pain of labor and delivery, but this is the pain of infertility and miscarriage, birth defects, learning disabilities. This is the pain of birthing a child into a broken world and mothering a child in the midst of a broken world. Her children will be born, but will not live forever. 
that we'd be born into the reality of sin and death. And so the blessing, not just of having children, which was made difficult by the curse, now the, the joy of raising children is made difficult by the curse. Again, this is not just for parents. Anyone who interacts and works with kids feels the pain of this curse. There's many teachers here in this room. The children in your class that you love so dearly can become something that grieves you and challenges you as they disobey. Those who disciple our teenagers and young adults here know this. You love them, but you feel grief and pain when you see them pursuing sin and rejecting wisdom. This original blessing of having children and raising children, this blessing of nurturing the next generation and discipling the next generation, yes, it's still a blessing, but it's a blessing that's full of challenges. God's judgment on Adam and Eve's sin makes life's blessings now challenging. Particularly here in verse 16, the blessing of marriage and the blessing of children. But it impacts all relations. That's the judgment from God on, Ad, on Eve and all the generations since then. Next, we're going to look at the judgment on Adam and the generations to come. But for now, there's a big question we need to ask in light of this. Why? Why would God do this? This, again, is God speaking here. This is not God up in heaven being like, I can't believe Satan just did that to them. This is God pronouncing these judgments on Adam and Eve. This is God saying this is what it's going to be like for the generations to follow. Why? Why would God in his sovereign wisdom and goodness do this to the world? And this is where, again, you find judgment mixed with grace. So the second truth I want you to see this morning. Not only did God's judgment on Adam and Eve's sin makes life's blessings challenging. There's a second truth you need to see here this morning, and that's this. God introduces these punishments for sins to drive us to him to find the cure. God introduces these punishments for sins to drive us to him to find a cure. These judgments are from a good and holy God. And these judgments are part of his sovereign plan for the world. This is not some plan B we're reading here. This is not God in heaven wringing his hands going, what, I'm gonna, what am I going to do? This is not in God in heaven angry, spouting off these judgments and later being like, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. This is God in his sovereign plan issuing judgments, punishments for sins. Why? To drive us to him to find a cure. So for Eve and for all the women who follow, God puts these curses, these judgments in place to drive them to find their hope in Christ alone. And what we'll see next week with Adam's, the curses on Adam, is for all the men who follow, so that it'll drive us to God to find the cure. God gives us, in this life, real pains and real struggles to drive us to Him. Now that's hard for a lot of people to sink in, but if we believe in the sovereignty of God, we believe in the wisdom of God, the pains and the trials of this life, whether it's childbirth or the grieving process of raising kids or teaching kids, whether it's the challenges of marriage to overcome, these aren't just random things. They're something that God redeems and God uses to drive us to himself, to free us from self-reliance, to free us from self-dependency, so we run to him. I want you to think about something for a minute here with this. When Adam and Eve sinned, what were they trying to do? Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Think back to the lie that Satan put before them. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When Adam and Eve sinned, what were they wanting to do? They wanted to be independent. They wanted to not need God. Now keep that in view because when you go back to verse 16 now, what are these curses and judgments? This is God rejecting the very dangerous approach that Adam and Eve wanted to create. Adam and Eve wanted to create a life where they did not need God. So God curses them in such a way, brings judgment on sin in such a way that they will forever need him. God rejects this arrangement of self-sufficiency, self-dependency, and creates a world of pain and challenges so that they will have to run to him. This is God in his grace giving judgments, yes, to punish sin, 
but even more than to punish them, he's creating challenges and pains in this life so that they will have to depend on him every day for the help and for the cure. These particular challenges in verse 16 that we're looking at, God is showing Eve that nothing will satisfy her except God himself. That her husband cannot fully satisfy her. Her children cannot fully satisfy her. That she cannot find her identity in any of those things. Those things will always let her down. And so God in his grace gives these judgments to Eve and to the women that follow. And what we'll see next week with Adam and the men, the generations of all, to help us see that nothing will satisfy except for God himself. One of the authors I read said it's so true. God's judgment on Eve's roles as wife and mother meant that nothing in life would satisfy her apart from God himself. The perpetual discomfort in life was a grace insofar as it would drive her to God. Think about it. The perpetual discomfort in life was a grace insofar as it would drive her to God. Because every single one of us this week has felt different discomforts of life. There's all sorts of things that we go through, and those are grace gifts from God to drive us to God. God wants to give us grace, not just saving grace to forgive us of our sin, but God wants to give us transforming grace. God wants to give transforming grace to all the husbands here to not be domineering, but to learn to love their wives like Christ loved the church. God wants to give transforming grace to all the wives here to not try to control their husbands and manipulate or usurp the leadership, but to joyfully encourage their husbands to even joyfully follow their husbands insofar as they follow Christ. God wants to give transforming grace to all the parents to not find their identity in their kids, but to bring them up in the wisdom of the Lord, to trust God with their future, to carry their fears and their sorrows to the Lord, and to find that His grace is sufficient. God wants to give transforming grace to all of our relationships so we do not domineer, so we do not manipulate, but instead we do what Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says. In Colossians 3, 12, this is God's will, what He gives us grace to do, to put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience so god gives us these judgments to drive us to himself and to discover in the midst of the struggles the only hope is found in what second corinthians 12 9 tells us second corinthians 12 we're told my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness therefore i'll boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of christ may rest upon me as you think about that richard phillips one of my favorite authors i like to read richard phillips said this he said, here God injects a poison into the life of sinful humanity. Let that sink in. God injects a poison into the life of sinful humanity. His purpose is not to slay us. God has made himself the only antidote to the poison of these curses. So that mankind escapes the curse of death only by a return to our maker and true faith and love. God's curses on the relationship were the poison for which God alone was the antidote. And friends, these curses are like a poison. They take these good blessings, and they're still good blessings, but they make them challenging. That's a poison. That's a hardship for us. But at the same time, they are a grace because they drive us to the only antidote. And that's to God himself, the only one who can transform us. So we need to realize, friends, this transforming grace is not a one-time thing. It's not a great, on Sunday morning, I prayed and asked God to change me. This is a day by day taking these to the Lord. Because the reality is sin's going to be crouching at our door daily tempting us to be manipulative, like we're warned about at the end of verse 16, tempting us to want to control other people, tempting us to find our identity in other people, to tempt us to not trust God. But this is a daily call for us. The sin pulls us daily to daily run to God for transforming grace. The good news for us, friends, John chapter 1, 16, God's grace is not going to run out. For from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. So let's bring all that together. Let's take these two main ideas and squish them together today. But you see that God's judgment on Adam and Eve's sin makes life's blessings now challenging. But why? Why did God do that? Because God introduces these punishments for sin to drive us to himself 
to find the cure. You have judgment, you have hope, you have judgment, and you have grace. And so my question for you this morning is, are you finding God's grace to be sufficient in your life as you deal with the reality of a cursed world? Are you finding God's grace is sufficient for you and your own struggle against sin? Do you find God's grace freeing you to love others like Christ loved the church? Are you finding God's grace sufficient to joyfully follow? Are you finding God's grace sufficient to trust him with all of your sorrows? Are you finding that God's grace really is sufficient for you? Are all the trials of life that you're going through are those pointing you to God alone who can satisfy? To think about all that, friends, I want to remind you of something you sang last month. I find myself humming it even around the house. And that's the song, Joy to the World. We sing it here. Do you remember the, one of the latter stanzas? So if you grew up in the Baptist church, you may have skipped this stanza because it's a latter stanza of an old hymn. But here's one of the hymns, one of the stanzas of Joy to the World. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, for as the curse is found. Probably sung that throughout the Christmas season. He comes to make his blessings flow, for as the curse is found. Is found. Friends, in a world where every person feels the effects of the curses, the judgments on sin, Jesus came to give us the blessing of his saving grace, to free us from the penalty of that curse. But Jesus came not just to free us from the penalty of the curse, he came us to free us from the power of it, from the power of sin, to give us transforming grace so we can overcome those tendencies and we can experience what we sing later in that same song, the glories of his righteousness. God's judgment on Adam of sin makes life's blessings challenging. But God introduces those punishments for sin to drive us to find the cure. Friends, when you deal with the challenges of life now, being in a cursed and judged world, are those things driving you to despair? Are those things driving you to self-reliance? Are those things doing what God and his grace designed for them to do, driving you to run to him to find that his grace is sufficient for you? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've revealed to us in your kindness even why you've done things that perhaps don't make sense to us. So we thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you give grace, not just saving grace, but transforming grace as well. So for myself and for these precious brothers and sisters, God, would you let us be a people who treasure your grace? And God, would you let us be a people who run to your grace? Lord, we all need your transforming grace. You know our sinful tendencies, whether it's to control, whether it's to dominate, whether it's to anger, whether it's to selfishness, whether it's to find our identity in other people instead of you. God, you see so clearly all of our sin. And God, we pray in your love for us, you would not leave us where we are in that sin, but you would pursue us and chase us and transform us and give us that grace upon grace that makes us who you want to be. So Lord, I pray for myself and these friends this week. That as we deal with the challenges of life, as we see in so many ways this week that those blessings now are challenges because of sin and judgment and the curse. God, I pray we would not despair when we deal with those challenges. God, I pray we wouldn't want to give up. God, I pray as well we wouldn't just try in our own strength to solve these challenges. But I pray every day these challenges would remind us that you are there, that your grace is sufficient. I pray that every day we would find the Holy Spirit stirring our hearts to long to run for your, to your word, to long to run to talk to you in prayer, to long to run to Christian community where we can find, Lord, that your grace really is sufficient. So, Lord, you know the challenges each one of these friends meet this week. I don't know what all of them have faced, but you do. And so would you meet them right there where they are? Would you remind them today if they know you, that your grace is sufficient. I pray today they would leave with hope, not a hope that things are going to get better, not a hope that they can fix things, but a hope that you are pursuing and your grace is sufficient for whatever they are walking through. Lord, we know that hope's only available for those who know Christ. So if there's anyone here today who does not know Christ, does not know the hope that is found in running to you, would you let today be the day that they feel you drawing them to yourself? 
and that you would give them salvation this day, that they might know they belong to you. So we thank you for your grace. Thank you that we get to celebrate it together today. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we celebrate this grace and think about that all we have is Christ. And I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would
Father, in light of what we just sung, we ask for much grace this week to live out what we just proclaimed, that Jesus will be our life, that we would really believe what we've just sung out, that the strength to follow your commands could never come from within us. So God, we cry out and ask for much grace this week, your transforming grace, that we might live for you and find our joy and our hope and our identity in Christ, no matter what trials and challenges lay before us. We ask you to do it, Lord, for your glory and for our joy, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday afternoon.